The year is 1993. We all relive February 2nd over and over again with Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. The rap group Tag Team tells us that, whoop, there it is. Michael Bay directs the very first Got Milk commercial where a man fails to say on the phone that Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton for $10,000. Speaking of being shot, Dr. Richard Kimball gets a second shot to prove he's innocent for killing his wife. Gamezillamedia.com. It's time for the Welcome, everybody, to the Last Action Podcast. I am Sphinx, and with me is my co-host... LPJ. LPJ, how are you today? I am good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's nice to get back in the studio. It is. It's been a while, actually. It is. It's been a significantly long period of time for us. Normally, we're every a couple weeks. It's probably why I'm in a good mood, because I haven't had to see your ugly face for so long. Well... It's going to go downhill. Well, that's well. We'll see. We'll see. We have a special guest today, my friend and coworker, D Rock. D Rock, how are you today? I am great. I, I am super excited to be here, where you go by the name Sphinx, which <laughs> I have no idea where that came from, and I'm super interested to go back to work and start calling you this name forever. So. He's explained it to me several times, and every time I forget because it's very unremarkable. <laughs> it's it's very remarkable. Maybe it's just stupid. I don't know. It, I mean, it's weird because last week I was in New York and we were at the museum and they had a couple of sphinxes in the museum <laughs> and I kept picturing your face on the sphinx and it was actually kind of creepy. And so I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here and see you and you don't have the body of a sphinx. Although that's not necessarily a good thing. That would be awesome. <laughs> if that was the body, it's me sitting next to Sphinx as a Sphinx with like his head on a lion body. That would be the. We would have to do a video pod. We would have to live stream this. It'd be a huge improvement, but totally, we, our numbers we, we, would be off the charts. We got to go with what we got. Unfortunately, are, are, are you too done? <laughs> huh? Are you too done? You want to tell them about your dumb nickname? I, I guess I can. It's not dumb. And it actually doesn't have to do with the actual Sphinx. It, it's even worse than that. So I wrote a poem in 11th grade about a Sphinxster. And <laughs> <laughs> my English teacher loved it. And from there, the name just kind of stuck with a couple friends. And then that became my gamer name. Nice. So since then, I've always been the Sphinx. So this isn't something you just randomly picked. No, no, not at all. That slightly disappoints me. I wish I could remember or find the poem I wrote. It was pretty darn good. We should, you know, if you can find it, we sh- we will post it as a blog. I promise you. Perfect. A I know po- it's long all gone. All poetry podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. Starting with the the great sphinxster. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, the the so, movie we are doing today is the fugitive. The fugitive. Yes, and we let we let D Rock here pick the movie. Uh, why'd you pick it? Well, so Fugitive is probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, I saw it in the theater way back in 93. I was, what, I think 14, 15 years old at that point. Uh, And I just always loved it. There's several reasons why I loved it, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through the, uh, the podcast today. But it was my favorite, and I know not everyone feels that way, but I feel it's aged pretty well. I mean, it's 25 years old now. Uh, I showed it to my daughters, and they're 15 and 13, and they loved it too. And so uh, we've watched it several times together now. And so I don't know; it's just been a fave. So very nice, LPJ. Mm-hmm. Any remembrance of the first time you've seen this, or any? I also saw this. You and I are pretty close to the same age. I think you might be a year older than me. And uh, I saw this in the theater as well. I love this movie. Like, every, I, from the get-go. And I don't know if it was necessarily the story as much as it was Tommy Lee Jones that I loved in it. And I just love the char- his his character. He won, he won Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor for it. Yep. Uh, and and, and um, it really, um, I don't know, I just loved it. it. It's such a great all-around film. I can't, there's not a ton of flaws with it as far as... Uh, um, um, structurally with the film itself and how it's built and how it's filmed. I, I think it's fantastic. I 
I actually have a, I don't know, this this movie is kind of sentimental to me in a, in a weird way. Were you a fugitive at one point? <laughs> no, I was not. But um, the first time I actually saw this film was with my grandparents, my, my yaya and papu, grandma, 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 yeah. grandpa in Greek. And um, oftentimes when I was younger, I would always spend the night over there on Saturday nights. We'd be watching Walker, Texas Ranger. That was always their, their go-to show. Um, and then the next morning, we'd pick up my Aunt Lil and we'd go to Sun at Coney Island and have breakfast. And then I'd go home and, you know, have to go back to my days of being a seven or eight-year-old. But, but one time, it just so happened, my papu rented this movie. And I just remember watching it in their den. Um, with them and I was also just like hooked on it and I was only like seven or eight years old um, but I still remember like being highly entertained and whatnot and this is just a movie that you know it makes me think of them so you know that's kind of cool um, did any of you have like grandparents that had like a den no my no. Uh, um my uh my grandma lived so my my one grandfather was dead died the day my parents found out they were pregnant with me and then my uh, other grandparents were divorced and didn't really. I didn't okay. see my grandpa a whole lot. I saw him enough, like every once in a while. And then, mm-hmm. but no, neither of them had a den, and neither of my grandparents had a den. But we did spend a lot of time with them. Okay. But never in the den. There was no den. My one grandma, I couldn't stay at her house because I was allergic to her. Um, <laughs> she had like a skin disorder, and oh. I was highly allergic oh. to her skin, so I couldn't hang out with my grandma. Uh, my other That's grandparents, bizarre. they had, they lived in the bait, like so they had a two story, or I guess it was only a one story house, but then their basement was finished. They had their bedroom and a living room down there, so it was kind of like a den. Uh, they did their smoking and drinking downstairs, <laughs> and then my my great grandma, grandmother, and grandfather lived upstairs. So, if I wanted to do anything questionable, you had to go down to the basement. So it was kind of like that. That's where you had to watch TV. Um, yeah. And uh, but yeah, I don't know. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't like the classic den that I think you're probably thinking about. Yeah, it was just always bizarre. I just remember always going to my grandparents, and and when you walk into their house, there'd be the living room, and the living room just had furniture, but we never sat in it and we never socialized in it we would always just go to the den and that's where the tv was and there was a couch and they had like you know lazy boy chairs and all that like we were never in the living room that's how my house is set up made sense that's exactly how my because we have i have an older house so the the living room area is shaped strangely it's like a like a long rectangle okay instead of being like a more of a square so it's not conducive for anything other than like an entryway and then we have a den that we have. Uh, we have another room on the main floor. That's where our TV and our couch and all that stuff is. Yeah, I think a lot of those houses built in like the 60s, 50s and 60s yeah, had that 50s. formal living room and formal dining room, which mm-hmm. a lot of people today don't use. So Yeah, I don't know. So that's, that's a long conversation yeah, about yeah. dens, but <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> Nonetheless, we can go ahead and start rolling into this movie. Um, looking at our director first, we have Andrew Davis. Uh, he's actually from Chicago. And so he wanted to do a movie uh, in his hometown. Um, He is an action movie director. I've got quite a few movies here that he did. Code of of Silence with Chuck Norris. Uh, Above the Law and Under Siege with Steven Seagal. Collateral Damage with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Random one, he did Holes with Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that too. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Um, But without a doubt, The Fugitive becomes his biggest movie of, of all these titles that we mentioned here. And I believe that was one of the reasons why Tommy Lee Jones ended up in this movie is he was in Under Siege. Yeah, and they're good friends. Yes. So I actually, I was able, I didn't watch, I didn't listen to all of it, but there there was a great commentary um, on the disc of The Fugitive that I, I got from the library. And it's Tommy Lee and Andrew Davis doing it together, actually, um, about 10 years after the movie came out. So it was pretty interesting. I just ran out of time going through it all. Uh, the movie is produced by Arnold and Ann uh, Koppelson. Um, they have done a ton of movies uh 29 was the count that i had and 17 of them have been nominated for some sort of academy award and that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive i did not see that that's pretty fantastic yeah Yeah. what do they do um the only thing i wrote down unfortunately is they did win best pictures the only time they won best picture and that was for platoon oh okay so but they're also pretty big on the action movie stuff got it but yeah lots of uh nominations there so uh, our writers, and I say this writer pretty loosely, it's uh, it's David Tui, I believe is his name is? Tui? Uh, Tui, I think it's Tui, Tui. All right, and Jeb Stewart. 
Um, but in reality, the the Fugitive is actually a TV show. Uh, it came out back in the 1960s on ABC. Um, it was on for four seasons, and I guess it is highly regarded even today uh, as uh, a fantastic TV show. The first three seasons were in black and white. Last season came out in color. And the story from the TV show is the story that we get from this movie. Uh, Dr. Richard Kimball uh, is being accused of a murder. Um, it's Philip Gerard, not Samuel Gerard, that is you know, a, a U.S. Marshal or someone uh, in the police force that has to go after him because he escapes from a train wreck. There's a one-armed man. And so that's kind of where the story comes from is, is this TV show back in the day. Have any of you heard of or watched it so i do know like it was on from 63 to 67 it's probably the main reason why we went to see the movie i went with my friend and my mom and my mom and dad both watched the tv show when it was on back in the 60s they both loved it as soon as they saw the commercial they're like oh dr richard kimball everyone knows dr richard kimball mm -hmm. and so um i never watched the tv show like you said it looks like it's still really highly rated if you look up um, you look it up on stuff. It's you got five stars or eight, nine stars out of ten, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't actually seen it. But it sounds like you said the one-armed man. They're searching for him. It took them four years to find him then, though. Yeah. Whereas we get it done in a in an hour and a half uh, for the movie. So yeah, it would be interesting to see it on a TV show how they're able to spread things out so long because they were hour-long shows too, from what I saw. So it was fifty minutes uh, for each episode, and each season was thirty episodes. Wow. That's so. a long time. <laughs> hey, that's a long time for a TV show then, and that many episodes is craziness. Yeah. Right. So, and then the other reason why I said that the writing was kind of loose is, is one thing that I found out through the commentary as well as through other research is that a lot of this movie was done on the fly. So they originally would have kind of an idea of where they thought the direction of the film would go, but then they actually had the the interaction between Andrew Davis, Tommy Lee Jones, Harrison Ford, and a couple others that would actually be like, oh, we're going to kind of change this this way. We're going to go ahead and do this. And based on the environment and what was going on, they kind of adapted to it into the movie, which I feel like when a lot of movies try to do that, it doesn't go well. But I, you, you wouldn't even notice in this film. I mean, no. it just it flows so beautifully that you would think that everything was heavily scripted and done well, when in reality... Uh, there really wasn't a whole lot scripted at all. And that makes sense, especially in a scene like the parade scene, where my, my, I'm willing to bet that parade was already going on anyway, and uh, they just kind of co-opted a section of it and as as part of the movie. Because it wasn't, it wasn't like, a, it was a chase scene, but it was a slow chase scene, and there wasn't too much dialogue. It was just them weaving in and out. So it's not like it would have taken a lot for them to do that on the fly. So you nailed it. That scene was actually... Uh, made up on the fly that entire scene so Andrew Davis wanted to like I mentioned earlier he's a Chicago homeboy and he wanted to bring as much of the city into the movie as he could so he purposely made sure that they were filming in March because he wanted to get clips from the parade so like, there's a scene where they're dying uh, the Chicago River Green and like you said the parade is going on so what they decided to do was they just let the actors, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, just kind of go into the parade, and they just started filming. There was nothing scripted, nothing done. It was all ad-lib. So all the motions and gestures, like Tommy Lee Jones hopping up and down, trying to look through the crowd and all that, none of that was scripted whatsoever. It was all made up on the fly. And Harrison Ford said that he got they got about 15, 20 minutes of footage before people started to notice who he was. Because if you remember in the film, his he dyed his hair black. Yeah. And so people didn't notice him at first. And then afterwards, it, it got kind of crazy. But yeah, that entire scene with the parade was was all just kind of done at the moment. And that was one thing that I had written down is that, you know, Chicago does almost... Chicago is almost a character in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I had mentioned, you know, they caught that the, there's the whole discussion about why can't they dye the river blue the other 364 days yeah. a year if they dye the river green on this one day. <laughs> And there was the parade, which, uh, you know, they just run out into the middle of the parade. That's a huge thing in Chicago every single year, that St. Patrick's Day parade. So um, that was definitely something. And there's a couple other things. But, um, you know, they cap they definitely capture the essence of Chicago in this movie and make it kind of one of the characters. Yeah, I would say that not only that, but even the character actors, like the, the cops 
they seem like Chicago cops, not just cops. They seem like cops that would be in Chicago. They have that accent, that attitude, that kind of look of of a um, stereotypical like, you know, like on SNL when they do the the the, the Bears guys. Mm-hmm. They look like those guys. Well, the the one detective with the glasses actually was a retired uh, Chicago uh, that, lieutenant. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> jo- uh, Joseph Casala, I believe is his name. He played Detective Rossetti. Yeah. Yep. And he is also in four other movies as a Chicago cop, okay. um, <laughs> including Primal Fear and one of the worst movies ever, Chain Reaction. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he definitely was a... Sh- and also, I don't know if you noticed this, but Lester Holt, who is the uh, chairperson for NBC Nightly News, yeah. is one of the reporters in that because at that point in his oh, career, he was yeah. he was the I chair for Chicago's uh, Nightly News. So he is also someone that appears that's a Chicago person, giving it that Chicago feel and flavor. Yeah, the reporters that were there were all Chicago reporters. They weren't actors. I feel like movies that are filmed in Chicago always do a great job of showing that city. You yeah, know, like it, so. it's like whether it, I'm thinking like Ferris Bueller, I'm thinking like um, the Untouchables, sure, um, even like Rookie of the Year. Like there's just a lot of movies that do such a great job. Like I was waiting for Ferris Bueller's Parade to show up right <laughs> after the, you know, the St. Patty's Day one. I think that's because Chicago is a good combination of being a large city without being an um, uh, uh, an overbearing city. Like New York, New York is a character unto itself, but it has a tendency to overpower things mm-hmm. whereas Chicago can play as a backdrop but still remain Chicago and part of the story whereas New York just New York's just too big it's just too big there's too right. much to it I think Chicago's that good happy medium so like a, a couple other Chicago notes from the movie uh, the elevated train plays a mm-hmm. major role and sure. you know that's obviously a key feature whenever you go to Chicago um, you know the uh, there's the part where he uh on, they're on Lower Wacker Drive, and Dr. Charles Nichols pulls out, yeah. and uh, you know the guys are trying to you know scrub his windows for him, and that's where Harrison Ford meets him. You know that's something if you're from Chicago, you know that part of the city, and it's just your e- it's easy to recognize the city. Uh, again, like I said, it's kind of like almost another character in the movie. Yeah, for sure. All right, looking at the music, uh, the score is done by James Newton Howard. Uh, this is a massive name in movie soundtracks like and I think it's one that's often overlooked totally and, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he ends up he does a lot of collaboration work with Hans Zimmer yeah. and Hans Zimmer gets the majority of the credit but the reality is James Newton Howard plays as heavily into a lot of those scores as as uh, Zimmer does especially in things like the Dark Knight series or Batman Begins uh, the Hunger Games um, all, all of those different things weren't necessarily specifically James Newton Howard they were a collaboration, but he really doesn't get the credit I, I think he deserves. I think you're absolutely right, Sphinx. And he's all over the spectrum. I, movies I've got here, he's got Major League, Pretty Woman, My F- Best Friend's Wedding, My Girl, Wyatt Earp, Junior, Outbreak, Primal Fear, Space Jam, Liar Liar, Dante's Peak. He did three Disney movies. He's done almost all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies. Um, the King, Bor- Born Legacy. Yeah. I mean, Fantastic just a beasts. ton. Uh, the newer movie Detroit that was done by uh, Catherine Tate, Bigelow. Yep. So, and and that's not even like, and I'm still missing a whole bunch of other ones that he did too. He's been nominated for eight Academy Awards and hasn't won a single one. I think he's due. Oh, I would say so. And he was nominated for The Fugitive actually. So this was one of well several deserved. nominations uh, that this film got. Um, didn't win, but nonetheless, that's the case there. So I believe LPJ does have a little sound clip here from one of the songs coming from the fugitive i did uh, i do all of the the entire soundtrack is is just really really good um they ended up releasing it i think as a they initially released it as a single disc and then ended up re-releasing it later on as a double disc with even more content to it uh so here is uh, we just have a, a little snippet of the main theme for you Uh, LPJ, I, are, are we a French podcast now? What happened there? I have no idea why that was in French. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Not a clue. You know what? <laughs> Let's make it out to everybody. Let's just play something else. Here we go. <laughs> 
such a great mood and tone. I, I love hearing the the lower um, string instruments there kind of set that dun, 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 dun kind of mood that's happening there, kind of doom and gloom of whether or not Dr. Kimball is going to get this all figured out. I don't know. We ready to go through our cast here? Let's do it. All right. So I'm surprised we haven't mentioned him yet during our podcasts, but Harrison Ford as Dr. Richard Kimball. So he's our... I guess he's our main star, right? He is the fugitive. He is the top build star when the previews came out back in the early 90s. Uh, And, you know, at that point, he was, you know, he's coming out of the 80s where he had a great stretch of movies, (laughs) obviously, the Indiana Jones movies, the Star Wars movies. But he started kind of transitioning into these drama films at that point. Uh, There was, like, um, I'm trying to think here. So regarding Henry, presumed innocent and so this was kind of like a call back to what he had kind of made his bones on in the eight, or late 70s, early 80s, which was back to action. He also did, I think in 92, um, he did he played Jack Ryan in uh, Patriot, oh, Patriot Games. Patriot Games, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, he was definitely the top build actor, although I wouldn't necessarily say that he carried the movie, as we kind of already alluded to. No, mm. it's it was this is definitely a Tommy Lee Jones movie. Um, and then I think what they did was... Tommy Lee Jones wasn't a big name then. Like this is the movie that really made him a big name, and yeah, he had minor roles and stuff. Sure, I, like, like Under Siege, Under as Siege you mentioned was kind earlier, of his minor was, breakout. Yeah, uh, and then this came along as the as his follow up, and really kind of brought him to the mainstream, especially with, with winning the Oscar. I think they took Harrison Ford's name to sell the movie, but it was really he's not. I don't think he. I don't think the fugitive it's himself is the main character of the fugitive. I think he's kind of the undercurrent that provides the context for the other characters, but really it's a story about Tommy Lee um, capturing the fugitive, I think. I don't know if I believe that. Okay. I, I I feel like like with the fugitive, like he is he's your protagonist and you're kind of cheering for him. I feel like you're not cheering for Tommy Lee Jones. In fact, if anything, Tommy Lee Jones is kind of douching this movie. Um, and how he acts. At least that's the way I kind of feel on it. And so when you're watching um, Dr. Kimball trying to solve this mystery of who actually killed his wife, I don't know. You're, I, I'm cheering for him. I'm trying to figure out what is what is it that he's doing as you're going through the film. I feel like he's definitely in kind of the lead role here. I mean, I think I, I think that Harrison Ford definitely, or Dr. Richard Kimball is definitely the main character. I think that Tommy Lee Jones. And if you if you hearken back to the series from the '60s, I think Dr. Richard Kimball was definitely the main character. I think that Tommy Lee Jones did such a fantastic job in this movie that he kind of steals the show. But I definitely think that this was a Harrison Ford vehicle, and um, I think that I, I think he plays his role as Dr. Kimball like perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's just that the Tommy Lee Jones character ends up having a lot more uh, impact. And there's something to be said too in terms of you know. Uh, Harrison Ford might be like the top, uh, you know, adjusted for inflation. He's got more box office than any actor in history. But Tommy Lee Jones has won an Oscar and Harrison Ford (laughs) has never won an Oscar. He's Uh not necessarily known for being the best actor, but he definitely is kind of like the key to making this movie movie happen. I mean, there's there's huge stretches of time where Harrison Ford doesn't say a single line of dialogue. Um, That's true. And and you can't have. I don't think you can have a an effective lead an effective lead protagonist who has close to no dialogue for for whole sections of the movie. Tommy Lee Jones doesn't show up until 15 minutes into the movie. That's yeah, but, a huge chunk of time that he's 15, not even relevant. But yet. I would say 90% of that first 15 minutes is flashbacks and setup to what what brings Richard Kimball um, to prison. So it's all it's all just ba- just backstory, and 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 I will say this about the way the, stru- the the film is structured, they pay off everything they set up, mm-hmm. and everything is, for as for as haphazard as it seems like this movie was filming, they really they tied up all the loose ends very very well. One comment on the idea that he he's on the screen a lot without talking or without. Lo- 
he does a fantastic job as a physical actor in this movie though and that is that's sometimes harder uh to sell than the actual speaking parts like just coming to mind like when he sneaks into the hospital and sneaks and gets the stuff and starts fixing his bullet wound or whatever he sells that scene hard without saying a single word the entire time yeah Uh, so i mean i i don't know that I, I do think that, you know, as an actor, he kind of dulls next to Tommy Lee Jones in this film. He does pull off what his role is. And even when that doesn't include talking, it's him by himself thinking. And that's part of what Dr. Richard Kimball really had to do. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Awesome. Uh, we've already pretty much mentioned him, but Tommy Lee Jones is our, is our Deputy U.S. Marshal Samuel Gerard. Uh, Sulla Ward is Helen Kimball, which is uh, Dr. Richard Kimball's wife. She doesn't really get a whole lot of FaceTime. She's she's only in flashbacks, obviously, because the movie's all about you know trying to solve the case here. Um, what else is she in? She's such a familiar face. Was it Law and Order? She did. Um, she's been in a bunch of TV she, shows. She she was movies. very famous in the late '80s, early '90s. One of the most attractive actus, actresses in Hollywood. I remember she was on a show called Sisters. Uh, that it was like a Saturday night 10 p.m. show that ran for a couple years that okay. a lot of people really liked. I doubt you were watching it as an eight-year-old. <laughs> um, I don't think so. But I remember as a was it before? Well, Walker Texas Ranger was on at 10 o'clock. No, so I don't I was, know. I was busy. But I thought she was I, as a young man. I <laughs> thought she was one of the most attractive actresses uh, to be on the silver screen at that point. So I'm trying nice. to see what what you would remember her even from. I don't know. I mean, yeah, Sisters was her big show. 127 episodes of that. Um, that's a long... That's got to be at least five, six seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know anything else that you would... Okay. The Day After Tomorrow? Um, I've seen it, but... I mean, maybe. Maybe little roles yeah. in different movies like that I've seen her in. She's been in... Yeah, she's been in a lot of, a lot of movies that I don't think you would have seen. Okay. Uh, Joe Panta, Pantoliano, thank you. Joey Pants. Just call him Joey Pants. Joey Pants. He is uh, U.S. Marshal Cosmo Renfro. Um, I recognized him. He's Cypher from The Matrix. As well as uh, Ralph Cifaretto from The Sopranos. Yep, yep, yep. He's been in a ton of things. Yeah. He has. I, I did look up, though. So he suffers through clinical depression, mm-hmm. and he's had a lot of bad addictions tied to it. Um, but he's been very public about it, and he w- raises all this awareness. He's got a nonprofit called No Kidding Me Too to try and help people. Um, I don't know. I thought that's. Did know. he retire from acting though? He, he hasn't done. A, he hasn't done a ton of stuff lately. I know that. Well, I guess he wrote a book about his addictions. Apparently, they really took a toll on him. So I think he's still trying to get back from that. To be quite honest, could be. Um, in the movie, it was originally scripted that he was supposed to die. So that scene near the end when he gets nailed by that, was it like a rail? Steel beam. Steel beam. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Like, having the background (laughs) I do, I have a degree in physics, so I get a pretty good idea of like things. Oh, God, here we go. Mm -hmm. A steel beam is heavy. Oh, it's steel. I believe that. And if it hit him in the face like that, it would have crushed his face in. Like, he wouldn't have gotten up. He would have been dead. Like, there's no getting around that. Well, he He should have died. Well, he's he's still here. And he did a sequel. So, because he's in U.S. Marshals, which is a sequel to The Fugitive in a way, I guess. They, 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 they spun it off that way. Why was there a steel beam just hanging from <laughs> the ceiling, though? No, in, that a was laundry, in a laundry right. room? Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe that's why they let him live. I, like, well, they shouldn't even have been here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe Although, that was one of the unscripted scenes. I got a, yeah, I got a Maybe that, he got pissed at Cosmo and just wanted to shut him up. I got a feeling that was one of those things where like, they found it there and just decided to use it because they could. Yeah, because you can't think that being the script, right? And all of a sudden in the laundry room, we're going to hit him with a steel beam. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that really... doesn't seem to make any sense. No, I can't imagine that. That's right. Yeah. We've got uh, Andreas Katsoulis. I should know a little bit better. Katsoulis? Katsoulis. He's a Greek man like I am, but he is the one-armed man. And I have a pop quiz for, I guess, either one of you. Pop quiz, hot shot. All right. All right. Andreas plays a commander for a show that LPJ, you and I have talked about a lot and enjoy a lot. Do you know what I might be talking about? My guess is going to be DS9. 
close. Oh, it's it, definitely that franchise of Star Trek. It's Next Generation. Okay. I couldn't remember which, which one it was. You're a Star Trek guy a little oh, bit, aren't Star you? Star Wars. Oh, that's right. Well, Sorry. he got the shirt on yeah. right now. Sorry. Um, yeah, he's Rom. He's the Romulan uh, Tomalak. Oh, he is. He is. Oh, yeah, I know exactly who. That yeah, is. he's in the finale and yeah, everything. That absolutely makes sense now. Like I can picture. You know, you can kind of picture like mm-hmm. the Romulans are not super made up. You yeah. can sort of picture them. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much I'm a Romulan just being Greek. I get it. He didn't carry over into uh, DS9 at all? Not from what I saw. I'm surprised. He, that seems like a character that would very easily carry over. He did like seven or eight episodes for, for TNG, but I, I don't remember seeing it on, on DS9. Interesting. Yeah. All right, well, we got off track here. He, we did. <laughs> uh, he died in 2006 from cancer. He was only 59. Doesn't he look like he's 59 in the movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was like 13 years later. Uh, I, I'm going to definitely destroy this name, and that's Jaren Crab. I don't know how to Dr. pronounce Dr. Charles name. Nichols. Yeah, right, he's Dr. Charles Nichols. Yeah, Jaren Crab, Jaren Crab. I don't know. I don't know either. I've seen him in a million things, but I don't remember like what I, how to pronounce his name. I only remember him. He's the villain from The Living Daylights. Yeah, he you is. You know how much I love Bond. Yep. Um, it was supposed to be Richard Jordan that was supposed to be Dr. Nichols. Um, and they started actually filming the movie with that actor. He got really sick, and then he had to pull out of the movie. He died from a brain tumor. Wow. Yeah, three days after the film was released. Yeah, so they had to not only reshoot the stuff, but then he ends up like passing away. Mm-hmm. So, did you see who else was gonna play Kimball? Um, we got. Oh, so, I wrote it down. I didn't mention. So that. Alec Baldwin was the first choice, and then yeah. dra- and he dropped out, so mm-hmm. he was in it. Then they had uh, Andy Garcia. They had who else? They had a couple others too. Were there Andy any other Garcia. cast members that you wanted to bring up, uh, D Rock? Uh, just a couple things. Like if you're watching the movie, and like when you watched back in the '90s, you didn't recognize these people, but you might recognize them now when you're mm-hmm. watching the film. The ER nurse slash doctor uh, that's running around like crazy and asks him to take. Uh, Dr. Kimball to take the kid to whatever waiting room or whatever, and he instead takes her the kid to surgery. That's Julianne Moore in mm-hmm. one of her earlier roles. Um, they the, were going to give her a, a larger role. I don't know if it just got cut or they just adjusted it, but originally she was supposed to have a bigger role in the movie. Okay. And then uh, the guy who is the transit cop that gets shot by the one-armed man is I think his name is Neil Flynn. Yep. Uh, and he is the dad on the show The Middle, and he was also the janitor on the show Scrubs. When when I re-saw the movie a few days ago, I'm like, I think that's who that is. And I, yep. I didn't remember the actor name. And, yeah, I'm like, yes, that's him. Right. So. I had the rest of that. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was just, and the one, uh, the other actor, the guy who is the guard on the bus that crashes and then the train hits it, the one who escapes... Uh, and then leaves his partner there and then tries to act like the hero the next day. Mm-hmm. He, uh, his name, I think, is Richard Real. Uh, he plays the classic role of uh, Tom Smikowski uh, on Office Space. Oh, he uh, does. And he's yeah. the guy who gets fired by the consultants, but then he gets hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's sitting there all casted up from head to toe and tells the guys, you know, if you wait, good things will happen to you because he becomes a millionaire. So, <laughs> You're right. You're right. One thing with Neil Flynn, uh, just to go back from Scrubs, uh, I guess they made a joke in the show. I watched the show a little bit here and there, but um, the, the joke throughout the TV show was that everyone on the show knew that he was in The Fugitive, and he would always pretend that he he wasn't that guy. (laughs) Which is kind of funny. That's awesome. Uh, The only one that I had... I had two others. I had Jane Lynch. Yeah, I had her, and I forgot to mention it. Yeah, and this was only her second role ever in a movie. Well, she's from Chicago. And she is from Chicago. And actually, and I'm happy it didn't turn out this way, there was a, a script... Before the you know we, we get into it, where Lynch was going to be a love interest of Richard Kimball, which I don't I don't like the way how that like I don't even know how that would have worked itself out and that would have been weird. Yeah, you can kind of see that a little bit, but it just seem like friends. No, yeah, no. Nah, I mean, you could see where potentially they could have had something else there, but it doesn't. It wouldn't wouldn't have worked. Like it would have made him a lot less sympathetic. Yeah, I guess. But I had uh, so Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin. Richard Gere, Jeff Bridges, Michael Douglas, and Al Pacino were all considered for Richard Kimball. Wow. It's quite a row. And I would imagine all of them turned it down. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, want to get through this movie a little bit? Yeah. We can do it. All right. I mean, we've already talked a lot about what what the movie's all about, um, but kind of going from the beginning here, 
You know, we've got Richard Kimball. He's at a, a research charity event um, for children's aid. Um, and he looks like a murderer in the beginning of this movie, right? That beard. Slick back and, hair. Yeah. And I guess Warner Brothers hated the beard. They wanted him to lose it as soon as possible. So, and it, it definitely, it just makes him look so much older. He does, yeah. He looks a lot older with the beard. Yeah. Um, but like we said, you know, it shows clips of, of this murder taking place, you know, kind of flashbacks and whatnot is how the movie kind of sets itself up. Um, he's put into the investigation room with the two cops. You know, they're, they're questioning him about stuff. All of that scene was also done ad lib. So when the two investigators are talking to Harrison Ford, talking to Kimball, he said, Harrison Ford said, I don't want to know these questions ahead of time. Like, I want to purely act on emotion based on what you're asking me. So when he, like, breaks down and starts freaking out, like, are you convincing me that I did this and all that? All of that was ad lib, which is pretty, which is pre- that's good acting right there. Yeah. yeah, why'd you point at me? <laughs> because you said he didn't do a whole lot of acting in this no, movie. No, I said that there were large stretches where he didn't have any dialogue. I didn't say he was poorly acting. I guess he he goes to trial. Uh, he is guilty uh, and sentenced to the death penalty. Which I mean, you haven't lived in Illinois in a really long time. Do they have a death penalty? They do in have Chicago, the death penalty. In Illinois? In Illinois? I don't know if they still do, but they did yeah. at that point. All right. Um, Didn't know that. Yeah. All right. I, I do have one catch here. So I did feel like in the beginning of this movie, things seemed a little rushed, and I don't know, kind of incomplete. Like, I know that it wasn't the main part of this movie, but it seems like there really, was there really that much evidence to go on this guy to, to make him guilty? Well, I mean, one thing that they were going after was the gun that was there, but then the gun didn't kill her. Like, she wasn't shot or anything. So why was the gun such an important ingredient in this case? Because if I remember right, she was hit in the head with a club or a ball or something like that, and she hemorrhaged out. So I don't know why that was so pertinent. I mean, if I'm not mis- – well, first of all, I think that it, the way they did it kind of conveys, like, how they were putting him in prison. They rushed through it all because it was slam dunk. Uh, I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, and I'd have to – I didn't watch it this week, uh, but I think she gets shot in the stomach. Um, I think the gun does shoot her once. She does mm-hmm. – the final blow is, like, some sort of ball that he holds in his hand and then crushes her skull with it. Yeah. But I believe she gets shot first. Okay. Um, and then uh, – but then, yeah, like, his fingerprints are on the gun. They're on the bullets. They're on everything in the room, which, of course, makes sense because it's his bedroom. Yeah. Um, and he's claiming some random one-armed man broke into his house, but there's no evidence of this guy. There's only evidence that shows him. They've got a top-of-the-line security system, which we come back to later in the movie Mm -hmm. there's no way anyone could get in and there's no signs of forced entry it just seems super easy and super quick and that's i think why it goes so fast i guess and but then they're trying to say like the motive was for money and you know uh gerard mentions that the dude's a doctor like what does he need more money for even though she was richer was apparently the idea i I, I don't know i think it kind of speaks to the ineptitude of the chicago police in this (laughs) where the marshals come in are like wait a minute and that's why they redo all the interviews because they're like this was done too quickly. Well, if you look at all of the interactions that they have with the local law enforcement, not just the Chicago cops, but the uh, the sheriff's department that's there at the train scene, um, they're all just kind of going through the motions. No one's actually using their brain. They're just kind of just kind of phoning it in, basically, and 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 trying to glorify themselves as much as they can. And that's kind of a running theme throughout the entire the entire movie. That does bring up another point, though, that you mentioned, too, with the U.S. Marshals. In reality, would the U.S. Marshals really be that interested in trying to solve this case again? I feel like their job is really going to be more to get him. But it seems like halfway through the film, like, it's it's Kimball and the Marshals trying to actually solve this case. No, that's the thing. It's not the Marshals. It's Gerard. Gerard is the one that's kind of Gerard is the one that's taking the lead on this it's like um, because if you look he's never he's never giving anybody official orders to investigate he's sending Cosmo to go do something real quick and get it and bring it to him he's having uh, one of the other cops go and and just re-interview the the, re-interview the the police officers there they're not like official tied official orders tied with the particular fugitive manhunt it's uh, just kind of like him going on a hunch well i think that it's him i think that it's presented as he's trying to find this fugitive the fugitives in chicago why would he be here 
let's figure all this stuff out. But then as he's going through this, he's like, wait a minute, there's something like, and, and obviously Kimball says that stuff to him. Mm. He says, I'm trying to solve a mystery. And then, you know, that gets Tommy Lee Jones thinking or Samuel Gerard thinking. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I, mean, I didn't have a problem with it either. I was just kind of curious, like how believable that would be in real life. Like would a U.S. Marshal really be going all these lengths to try and figure it out i mean i guess if he's trying, if he's to, trying, to, he's trying catch to hunt him. the guy down yeah. yeah so you know they're getting ready to go to death row they're on the bus this bus flips like eight times because two of the inmates that are stuck in the bus are stage you know like being sick and try to flip it over it just so happens that this bus lands on the train tracks and it just so happens that a train's coming that was the other piece i'm like well I mean, how much more convenient is everything going to be right now? Pop quiz, hot shot. Oh, I oh, have yeah. a pop quiz for you. Okay. So that train scene, just the train scene itself, where it's flipping, mm-hmm. how much did that cost? I, I already kind of did a little bit of research here. All I saw is that the train was $21,000. The entire scene to get that train to flip, $1 million for that okay. one scene. They wanted it to be like the best train wreck scene ever in a movie that's what they were going for pretty good and it's all live there are no models no yeah you're right it is all so they they found uh a private railroad i didn't even know that existed uh in north carolina they they bought a train for 21 grand and they attached explosives to the front of it so that when it would hit the bus it would you know cause that explosion and then they set it up so that that train would derail so they had like 30 cameras all stationed around the scene and just had them playing and then they just kind of collected all the camera footage and then turned it into an actual you know piece that we see it as is. And that's another thing that I loved about this movie, kind of looking at the research, like hardly any of this movie at all is done in the studio. Or, or done in a studio lot. It is like all done live in the elements, like what's going on. Like all the scenes in Chicago are in Chicago. Right. I think the only thing that I saw that was on a studio lot was um, Kimball's apartment. That was the only thing that was done um, not out within the elements. And that makes sense too because they would have to have, for some of the angles they got, they would have to have some place with no roof yeah. in order for them to film it. And that was one of the things that I wrote down that I really liked about the movie is that it's kind of low tech. I mean, I guess blowing yeah. up a train is not low tech, but it's not like special effects. It's they actually took a train and smashed it into the ground. It's know? old school filmmaking. So yeah. I mean, it's real practical filmmaking. It's you're right. There's not I don't I don't know of a lot of films that are like this, especially especially now. Mm-hmm. But even then there weren't that was kind of when we were transitioning from sure. like because Star Wars had come in the late 70s, early 80s, and we were starting to use more and more special effects and more and more studio stuff. And this went old school. Well, if you look to uh, the year before this came out was Terminator 2. And Terminator 2 had two years. Terminator 2 was 91. I thought it was 92. It doesn't matter. It, it was a few years before this. Yeah. And um, it had all of those groundbreaking digital techniques that James Cameron had developed. And this was like the anti James Cameron movie. Like it did, it did as much as it could with with as little as it had, and made it look spectacular. Yeah, they had another train that pushed the one in front up to thirty five miles an hour to to get it to to cause that crash, and then there's a, a scene where it looks like that train is coming right at you. It took them eight hours to find that camera because it was buried under so much debris, but it was the film was intact and everything. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> That's yeah. really cool. One quick thing about that scene, though, as a Chicago boy that bothered me, is they're supposed to be taking him to prison in northern Illinois. That does not look like northern <laughs> no, Illinois no at in all. Northern Illinois. And, and of course, like you mentioned, right? it was it was filmed near Asheville, North Carolina. But when I and I didn't know that until years later because we didn't have the internet in '93. I couldn't look it up. But <laughs> as I'm watching it, I'm like, that's not that's not near Rockford. You know, that's that's yeah. not northern Illinois. I, I I noticed that too, and it was like, eh, whatever. It doesn't take anything away. We've talked about this yeah. in a lot of movies we've done. I think it's what Rumble of the Bronx, where oh, it's New yeah. York City with but mountains. You can see, you can see yeah, yeah. Rocky Mountains in the background. <laughs> you know. And then I guess Ford hurt himself on this scene, too. He tore a bunch of ligaments in his leg, Mm -hmm. and he did not. He wanted to finish filming, so he didn't handle it until after the entire film was done. So, And actually, the scene is actually a tourist attraction today. So you can go down into the Appalachian Mountains and find out where they filmed this, which makes me wonder, did they just leave the wreckage there? (laughs) I think think they did. I think that was the, the... When I was looking it up online, I think they... 
they got permission from whoever owned that railroad to just leave the train there. That's cool. That's kind of cool. I kind of mm-hmm. want to see that. Yeah. Anyway. Road trip. Yeah, let's do it right now. I, I think Gamesville Media can afford to send us down there, right? Yeah, I'll uh, check the budget. Perfect. Great. I, you're not <laughs> even in charge of the budget. Oh, I guess you are CEO. I'm the CEO. Someone. Of course yeah, I am. You think you are. <laughs> so then in comes the badass, right? Tommy Lee Jones, Samuel Gerard. <laughs> the thing that I love about Tommy Lee is, that <laughs> is how he's always giving everyone orders. And he's yelling throughout the entire movie. I don't think he ever has a conversation where he's just like talking quietly. He's just like, hey, you got to go over there. Hey, you go that way. Hey, you go check what's going on there. The entire time he's yelling at people. And he's like permanently annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's always just, irritated. He's just something. irritated at something all the time. Uh, have any of you ever seen that stupid ass movie, uh, Wrongfully Accused with Leslie Nielsen? No. I feel like I did, but it's been a long time. <laughs> it came out a couple of years after The Fugitive, and it, it, it's it's a total spoof of The Fugitive. So, you know, Leslie Nielsen's a character that gets, you know, accused of a crime that he didn't commit or whatever. And they have an actor, I don't know who he is, that's supposed to act like Samuel Gerard, And he just takes what he does just, like, way over the top and just says, like, the stupidest shit. It's really hilarious. He's like, look out for that anaconda. And then, like, an anaconda grabs one of the marshals. <laughs> It's pretty sweet. Sounds sounds great. I, I it, it was. <laughs> you don't like Leslie Nielsen movies? I do like Leslie mm. Nielsen movies that I've seen. Well, you should see this one. It's All great. Right. Wrongfully you know, accused. Hearing you tell me about it is great. I'm sure it is. <laughs> and then even Tommy Lee Jones at one point was like, "Hey, you, what are you doing? Give me some coffee and a donut with Thanks some sprinkles, with some sprinkles on it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, well, think me up some coffee and a donut with, with those sprinkles on it. I love it. Uh, Ford escapes. He ends up uh, at a hospital. He starts to shave off his beard. Gets all that that taken care of. Why does he steal an ambulance? I would say because that seems like the worst vehicle you'd want to steal. Well, he's a doctor. It's not like he knows how to hotwire a car. So it's really just a, a matter of of convenience. Do you know who'd be able to hotwire a car? Han Solo. But he's not Han Solo <laughs> in this. He could be. He's Doctor Richard Kimball. <laughs> he needs Chewie to back him up. Um, we then start to see this chase going on. I, I, I do want to get to the, the most epic scene, I would say, probably in the film, and that is that scene in the um, at the dam, right? Yeah. So he's, he's being chased throughout the, the sewer or tunnels or whatever it is. Um, I love the scene where um, Gerard falls, Kimball grabs the gun, because you're kind of like, oh, like what's he gonna do like it's that cool standoff and that tension is awesome and how they made it work and then obviously that famous line you know i didn't kill my wife i don't care right and i guess that was changed originally it was supposed to say that isn't my problem and tommy lee's like i don't like that he's like i'm gonna change it which i feel like i don't care is way better oh it's way better way better so it's just a badass scene and then he jumps right off that uh that dam, which there's no way he would have made it through that thing. No, he'd have been dead. I mean, what is that? Probably I was 150 like two, feet. Oh, I was going to say like 200 feet. 200 feet I mean, That's up. a hell of a dam. You're hitting the water. Yeah. And the way he jumps, too. Like, he didn't make, like, if he would have, like, slid down, maybe that'd be a little bit better for him. But he, like, he Peter Panned, as, uh, as Kimball said. He also jumped from one of the ones that wasn't running with water. So he should have actually landed against the concrete instead of the water itself. But, yeah. oh, well. And know. then when he gets out of the water, there's not a single scratch on him. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. What happened here? But that's all good. The rest of the film is is just them, you know, it, it's Kimball getting back into the city of Chicago. He wants to solve what happened to his wife. And so we've got um, we've got Gerard and the U.S. Marshals trying to chase him down, trying to figure out, you know, his mentality and what he's trying to do here. We've already kind of mentioned all of these things. Um, is there a particular scene that I haven't talked about yet that either of you would want to bring up? Just because I know we're getting short on time here. I mean, there's so much good stuff that's going on. The storytelling is just, I mean, it is such, you know, LPJ, you mentioned that you barely wrote any notes because I was just sitting watching the movie. I have three notes and all of them are, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Oh, (laughs) this is good. And I'm like, what am I doing? I should just watch the movie. Yeah. Uh, A couple things I noted was just simply like when he, you kind of mentioned the director trying to um, make this a Chicago movie too. Like he stays at the Polish, like the he rents the basement from those Polish people, and they're talking in Polish, and that's a very South Side of Chicago type of thing. Yeah. Um, sneaking back into the hospital, I thought one of the best scenes as we as he's trying to solve the mystery is him breaking into the one armed man's house after he's gone through all these. He narrowed down the list of like one armed adjustments at the hospital, and then went to see 
like three of the five people. He goes to the prison. That's where the whole uh, St. Patrick's Day parade thing happens. Mm -hmm. But then he finally goes into the house and he finds he's looking at the guy's pictures. Oh, this is the guy. This is the guy I remember fighting. Then he calls. He talks to Samuel Gerard. They're like, we got another Richard Kimball. And he's like, great, put him on. And mm-hmm. then it really is him. And he's like, you remember what you told me? He said, I didn't care. He goes, well, I do care. And I'm trying to solve a mystery. And I just found a major piece. And then he just leaves the phone off the hook and lets them. I, that's so one of my, smart, right? That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It is awesome. LPJ, you got anything? No, I mean, like the entire. I, honestly, I really, like, I really do like the ending where they're sitting, where he, they carry him out in handcuffs. And they put him in the police car, mm-hmm. and Gerard says, "You know, you know." He says, I, "I, I thought you didn't care." He's like, "I don't." And he's like, "Or no, what does he say?" He doesn't say. He's like, "Don't tell anyone." He's like, "Don't yeah. tell anyone." That's yeah. right. And he takes the handcuffs off of him, and gives him an ice pack. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, one of those things where I don't know. It's just a good ending. The even before that, in the ending, when he barges into the hotel. That's cool. When he goes into the conference, and at first he's got like yeah. his arms crossed, like listening to Doctor Nichols like go through his little speech, and he just kind of slowly starts walking up to him. Could you imagine like being at a conference and something like that going on? We need more action like that at yeah. conferences we go to. D Rock, <laughs> right. that'd right. be pretty sweet. Well, you know, and the other cool thing about that scene is Doctor Nichols is up there. He's talking. He doesn't see him, and then when he sees him, he starts talking faster. And then he's like, "I hope this is a model for continued dishonest relations." And he's like, uh, "Honest relations," you know. Yeah. And so uh, that, yeah, and then they go in the back room and then the whole fight on the roof of the Hilton in downtown Chicago. I mean, that's, that's another great, all of the scenes are great scenes. And and there's two, I, I I wanted to mention this one too, when it's so badass when Kimball walks into the federal prison, like there's, you know, obviously you're in a prison, there's going to be cops everywhere. And he's just like, I got to do this. You know, I got to make sure and see if this is the actual guy. Like that's such high risk and like badass to try to do that. That would have been the last one I would have went to though. Right? Would have been the last place to go. Yeah, I would have went to all the easy ones first. Like, oh, it's a residence. Let's go to that residence and stake it out for a few minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. I I liked the attire and the dress that some of these guys had on too. Did you notice that like all of them are wearing like jeans and sport coats? Have either of you ever pulled that off? Uh, No. About I don't. I don't wear sport coats. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe about fifty pounds ago. <laughs> okay. I think I'm going to start uh, uh, the year with uh, some 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 jeans tweed, and sport tweed yeah. jacket. Yeah, and I'm elbow see, patches. I'm going to see how it goes on and see if um, people like it at all at work. I'm sure they'll love it. Yeah, I think it'll it'll turn they'll out. They'll love well. your new outfits and they'll call you the Sphinx. Yeah, there we it'll go. Be great. You just yeah. have to get as long as you get your stuff monogrammed with Sphinx on it, you'll be all set. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So, so just to wrap this all yep. up, so this whole thing, he was mur- his wife was murdered. They were they actually wanted to murder him because uh, there's this drug that they were testing that Doctor Nichols was approving, and uh, he switched the test samples on him that that Richard Kimball had provided to him that were actually saying it was damaging their liver, and um and, and that's that's the reason why he was killed is he knew too much. It's always about money it's and greed, about man. Corporations, you know? Man, always. That's, that's what this whole movie boiled down to. Damn. Yep. So, so um, and, and that's the end of the movie. And then, like I said, they, they Kimball gets caught. Nichols, uh, Nichols is, he's not dead at the end, is he? I don't he gets remember. Hit. Kimball finally gets him with like a lead pipe to the head or something that's like right. that. That's right, yeah. Because yeah, he was about to shoot Gerard. As Nichols is about yep. to shoot Samuel Gerard. Yeah, because Gerard kind of, says it out loud to we know it wasn't everybody. you yeah. we know that he had access to your house he had access to the security no break in we know you're not guilty and then Nichols is just lurking around waiting to kill them both and yeah did you guys hear what another original script idea was about how this movie was supposed to play out involving Gerard no so there was a script written out that Gerard was the one that actually hired the the one arm man because the story was going to be that um, Dr. Kimball botched a surgery on Gerard's wife, and it was going to be like a vendetta to get back at him. Hmm. Which I feel terrible. like that would not have gone. Right. That would no. have been really weird. Like you guys kind of both said, I mean, the way the movie played, played out perfectly. It, it's such a tightly, I mean, the story goes all kinds of places, but it comes together perfectly. Yeah. I feel like that would have been really hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. And some of these other script ideas you were kind of talking about kind of would have been rough. Yeah. And you mentioned it earlier, and just as we, we, we start to close here, this movie doesn't seem like it aged at all. I mean, rewatching it, you know, here in 2018, 
the 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 story and the plot and what's going on you know we, we made the mention about how the film isn't using special effects it's trying to use the real stuff it makes the movie like ageless it just makes it, it work even so the, well even the fashions in it all of it like the the really the only thing that aged is the cars yeah that's it yeah. and and everything in it just seems you're right it's complete it's a timeless movie yeah, I mean, it's what early, it's early '90s. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like it's early '90s. There's no like most of the styles. Maybe a few of the women's hairdos. They had that kind of puffy yeah. bangs kind of thing. Other than that, you put it in you know 2010, 2015. Other like you said, other than the cars, it feels like it could be or the fact that there's no cell phones. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is always fun when we go back into these movies and you realize like how important a payphone was and how much harder maybe it is for criminals nowadays because yeah. when the unarmed man is talking to dr nichols it's all on payphones. it's like well now if you know we would use a cell phone that's like caller id like police can get into that real quick you have to buy burners that's all we'd have to do is that what it is yeah. sounds like you know a lot about having to deal with that d-rock i'm not going to say what my side business is <laughs> well i mean even thinking about kimball's research like he could just go online and potentially find the pictures of all of these people yeah, and not right. actually have yeah. to go and visit. That would take out half of the drama of the movie. That's true. That's true. All right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy you brought this movie to us, D-Rock, because I think when you first said you wanted to do The Fugitive, I kind of thought to myself at first, well, that's kind of more like a drama than anything else. But after re-watching it, I'm like, this is an action movie without a doubt. Yeah, it definitely is. This is absolutely... I would say it's more of like, like the adult contemporary action movie. Yeah. yeah, it's a thinking person's action yeah. movie, which is awesome. I mean, we just to kind of wrap up. You know, we it's nominated for seven Academy Awards. It wins Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones. It was up for Best Picture. Anyone know what won that year? Ninety three. Mm. Uh, was Dance Schindler's with, List? Schindler's List. Schindler's, I would say Dance with Wolves was ninety two. I think. I think so. Yeah, Spielberg dominated this Oscars. He won. He took home ten. He had seven from Schindler's List and three from Jurassic Park because that's also this year. Yeah, he had all the special effects. is a hell of a year for movies, man. It really is. So um, cinematography, film editing, score, sound, and sound editing were all the other um, things that it was nominated for. The movie cost a lot of money to make. Uh, it was $44 million, which for 1993... Back then was a lot. That's a lot of money. And that seems like a lot for this movie. It kind of does. I mean, maybe it's because like there's no studio shooting at all. That it, it just costs money to work with the city of Chicago and to get permits for all that kind of stuff. I would guess that's what also maybe drove it up. And you're paying a lot of money for Harrison Ford. I don't know how much he got for the movie. Well, it would have been have been lower than now. It probably would have been a fa- it probably would have been a seri- pretty serious salary for back then. But yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. That is, I mean, I wonder what adjusted for inflation that would be. Probably yeah. a because couple hundred nobody million. got nobody got twenty million. Until Schwarzenegger got twenty million, and that was later on. Was it? Yeah, okay. I think he was the first twenty million. Anyone know or want to guess how much the movie actually made in the box office? I mean, I have I know a rough estimate. Of it. I know it was D Rock. Do you know? I don't know. Maybe upper hundred, like hundred eighty. No, it was like it killed it. Three hundred eighty-three million. Yeah, three hundred sixty-eight million bucks, okay. which is. Yeah. That's that's huge. That is huge. Because yeah. what did Jurassic Park make? Jurassic Park, I think, was in the four hundreds. Yeah. yeah. So it's not that far behind. Yeah. yeah. I didn't really think it. W- I didn't realize it had done that well in the theater. It was. Huge. I didn't either. It was big. On, it was big on. Uh, it was another one of those big um, home video. Yeah, I, I knew too. that it was like a huge VHS release, but mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't realize it got that much play in the actual theaters. Yeah. You know, and and uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, it's for adults. But it's clean, mm-hmm. so kids can go and see it. And was it's it PG thirteen? It was PG thirteen, but I think that was just because of the a lot of the action that was in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I can't even think of a bad word that was said in it. No. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of swearing, but that's you know that's it. And like I said, I mean, my kids who are, you know, fifteen and thirteen, they love it today. Yeah. You know, and your I wife was okay uh, letting the movie get shown by them. Or is she pretty okay? I know. Yeah, she loves I, that movie too. Oh, she so does. Okay. If she loves it, it's okay. I would okay, be, like, I'd be okay. <laughs> I'd be okay showing Ash this movie, and he's eight. Yeah, I was eight when I saw it, so yeah. I'd have no problem showing them this movie. <laughs> All right, are we ready to give this our machine gun rating? All right, let's rate this. All right, so we're gonna rate this now. Do we let the guest go first? Would the guests like to go first? No, you guys no. go first. All right. 
I'll go first. Do it. So, again, this is five machine gun rating that we do here. I'm giving this guy a four and a half machine guns. It is nearly a five out of five. I mean, it is such a great movie. The, the little things that I mentioned earlier on, I think, were things that just bothered me slightly. Um, I don't know. I can't really escape from them. And so, I mean, four and a half out of five is still an awesome rating. It is whenever this movie is on TV, I get hooked on it and I, I have to finish it. And it's on TV quite a lot still. And we're talking, I think you said like 25 years later. I mean, this movie has, has aged great. It's got great action. Um, really keeps you engaged throughout the entire thing. You're, you're cheering for Harrison Ford. You're, you're seeing um, Gerard, you know, grow a little bit as before he's all about trying to capture him and now trying to figure out what's going on. It is an absolute fantastic movie. I'm giving it four and a half. All right. I will go next. I am also going to give it a four and a half. Um, I, I only reserve fives for, you know, like the big action movies. Like G.I. Joe, the animated movie? Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Robocop? Sure. And, thing, and sentimental value. <laughs> things that are sentiment, sentimentally uh, significant to me. Um, this movie is infinitely watchable. It's great. It's just such a tight film as far as the storytelling goes, the acting, uh, everything about this movie. The music's great. The cinematography is great. Everything about this movie is fantastic. And I I forgot how much I love this movie until until I just recently watched it. So absolutely four and a half. And because I'm from Chicago, I'm going to give it that last <laughs> half star. I'm going to go for the five stars. This is my favorite movie. Um, which is, again, why I suggested it when I was talking to Sphinx about coming on. Uh, it's just a great movie from head to toe. Uh, you know, there are maybe like a couple little quirks that you could have with it, but for a movie that's 25 years old that I can watch today and feel the same things, even knowing what's going to happen, uh, it's still just, it for me, there it doesn't get much better than that. Well, I'm, I'm very happy you brought this movie to us. I am too. Well said. And and I, I thought you were going to maybe pick a little bit, I don't know, more fun of a movie, but I had fun still going over it. So Yeah, well, you kind of like sent me a message. Are you sure you want to watch that? I'm like, shut up. Come on. This <laughs> and, is a great movie. And you did shut me down pretty good. So I have to, I have to do that a lot. <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, I think it's time we got to do the business here, LPJ. Do some business. You want me to start or you want to start? You can start us off. All right. So let's do some business here. We, of course, are uh, a, a lovely affiliate of GameZillaMedia.com. They host us. They provide us our studio time. They are friends of ours. We love GameZilla Media. Sure um, do. And, and you should check out their podcast. GameZilla Podcast is usually at 7 o'clock on, on Mondays, come hell or high water, with the exception of the high water they had last week. That's true. Yep, and then they show it uh, again on Tuesdays, uh, Wednesdays. What do we got on Wednesdays? Wednesdays is Noobs and Dragons, where Craig WK takes us through a crusade adventure of Dungeons and Dragons with Jazzy, Grimlock, and Chops. I love seeing them get tortured every week. This, I, I do. The most recent episode that I listened to, Chops almost died. Yeah. Like he was real close to being dead and I, I was disappointed that it didn't happen. <laughs> I feel like it's often he he just barely escapes death. I don't know if he's going to make it through the end. This is my impression of the show. It's Chops almost dies. Jazzy does something dumb, Jay gets mad. Yeah. That's the essentially every episode. That's about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On Thursdays, we have The Legend of Retro, classic gaming at its best. Which is also Chops and Craig WK, but Xander uh, is at it as well. So they're looking at all those classic video games, which is awesome. And then we have Gamezilla Alpha, um, which is where the Gamezilla crew takes on a special topic that they want to talk about and with what's going on with modern video games. And yeah, we've got blogs. Craig WK is doing long plays. We've got a bunch of streamers. Yeah, definitely take a look at the streamers online. Matrick uh, streams almost every night. Spectre streams almost every night. Test streams almost every night. Uh, the Glitch is on there doing retro streaming. He's been streaming Contra a lot lately, trying to break some records. Uh, the there streaming is, community is huge. You should absolutely check them out. Yeah, there is so much that you can do through Games of the Media. And if you want to help us out a little bit further, um, please go on to Games of the Media, or it's patreon.com slash Games of the Media, That's right? correct. And uh, if you would like to toss some money towards us to help things keep moving, that would be awesome. Yep, and uh, of course, uh, like us, rate us on the various uh, podcast platforms. 
and we would love to talk to you too whether it's on the discord or on social media we would love to hear your opinions and if you have any corrections with stuff that we say um we welcome it and would love to have more of our listeners involved because we know that you're out there yep and uh one last time i want to thank d-rock for being here and bringing the fugitive um movie i love i'm so glad you brought it Yes, D-Rock, thank you so much for coming by. We'll have to have you again. Appreciate you guys having me. You got it. Uh, For now, though, uh, this episode of The Last Action Podcast has been terminated. But we'll be back.